Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have a guest uh, coming to me all the way from India. His name is Dr. Santanu Datta. He is the CSO of a company called Bugworks, Bugworks Research Inc. We're going to be talking about um, their work there. Uh, Sounds like about uh, microbes. So, Dr. Datta, thank you for coming. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, oh, good. I like the name of your company. What, what's the premise of Bugworks? Uh, our company is focused on producing the next generation antibacterials, uh, broad spectrum antibacterials. So basically bugs, as we call. Now, when we use the word bugs, it could be meaning microbes from the smallest virus, like the COVID-19, which is a virus or it could be a bacteria, or it could be a fungus. But our focus is on bacteria. Uh, that's why it's called bug works. Uh, uh, okay. There's nothing more to it. It's just a catch, catching name, I guess. Yeah, so what um, bacteria in what context um, okay. are you making? Uh, you know, like where? Where do we run into them that you want to get rid of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let me uh, go to the background. Um, the one of the first antibacterial that came into uh, existence was penicillin, and we all know how penicillin played a very, very important role in uh, human existence in the last 70 to 80 years. For example, if you go back 100 years, for a, people would have died occasionally from a simple cut, wound, some infection, but after the discovery of penicillin, it's very interesting. One simple discovery changed the average age of human from, uh, say, early 40s, mid-40s to, to 80s in the, in the last 70 years. Of course, there is an economic issue to it, but uh, people have analyzed that uh, these days people live much longer because of the antibiotics uh, which are there. And uh, the golden era of antibiotics, as it is called, uh, is from the 50s uh, to 70s, where a plethora of antibiotics uh, were discovered. And, uh, and the humans are now much more safer. However, in the last 50 years, there has been no new antibiotics. And this has caused what is known as AMR, antimicrobial resistance. So people admitted in the hospital for a surgery, they get an infection, which is called hospital-acquired infection, and they may, um, they may die due to infection, but uh, they had gone to the hospital for something else. So 30% of the deaths in hospitals today, uh, prior to COVID-1, uh, was uh, due to uh, hospital-acquired infection coupled with AMR, antimicrobial 
microbial resistance so that the antibiotics are not working in many of the cases. And that is where we come in. Uh, we have a product which is in the very uh, late stage of uh, preclinical development. Uh, it will go to the uh, phase one clinical trial probably in the next uh, four to five months time. Of course, the entire time scale in the world has now altered because of COVID, uh, but still we hope because all our preclinical uh, work, the toxicity work has been done. So why have there been no new antibiotics in the past 50 years? What, what makes it so difficult to make one? Uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting question. There are two issues which uh, make it difficult. Number one, unlike any other drugs, say for example, take a diabetes or a hypertension drug, you take it for life. So the, there is a business end to it. There is uh, the pharmaceutical companies which are selling the drug, uh, make a lot of money. And not that there is anything wrong in that because Making a drug is a very, very expensive uh, process. It is filled with failures. In case of antibiotics, it's a kind of a binary. You take it for one week, you're cured. And if you're not cured, unfortunately, you're dead. So the market of antibiotics, though it is, is it's such a huge importance in human existence, from a market dynamics as uh, there's an oft-repeated phrase these days, uh, the market for antibiotics is broken. So most of the big farmers of the world have moved away from antibiotics. That is number one. Number two, from a scientific perspective, the antibiotic discovery is uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting that in the old uh, traditional way, when people uh, tried all the antibiotics, the molecules were tested without their mechanism of action and uh, tested and many antibiotics which are there today may be having side effects. But today, the, the entire discovery is such that we want to make it safe. The safety standards have gone up so much that uh, it, it is a very, very difficult. Scientifically, it, it, it is pretty difficult. So there are two vectors. One is a scientific uh, problem and one is a market uh, dynamics which makes it uh, not very profitable for big pharma to put its uh, might into this activity. Well, most antibiotics on the market, would they pass now if they had to go through the whole process of, uh, you know, of FDA and all that? Or would they not make it, you think? No, uh, some of them would. Some of them would. Uh, for example, the first antibiotic, penicillin, is absolutely a brilliant, uh, and its uh, uh, next-gen penicillins are absolutely brilliant. They have very little side effect. But for example, there are molecules like cholestin, which has a lot of uh, nephrotoxicity um, and other issues. Uh, there are uh, nitrofurantoins, which have a lot of uh, toxicity issues. But when you don't have anything, people uh, want to throw, uh, you know, the kitchen sink at it. When when a person is dying, you don't care whether he has a diarrhea or a headache or anything like that. You uh, you don't care. Uh, 
So many of the antibiotics which are there today, or maybe many of the drugs today, for example, if you take one of the most common drug that everybody uses is aspirin. If, if aspirin were to be discovered today, it wouldn't have make, made it because of uh, the side effects that it has, um, you know, it causes diarrhea, it causes, sometimes it causes intestinal bleeding. So it wouldn't have made it for the side effects. So today's drugs are significantly safer and the old drugs which come, which is toxic baggage, uh, many of them would make it, including some of the antibiotics. Well, it doesn't seem like new drugs are safer. When I see them on TV, they have tons of side effects. It seems like they're far worse than uh, maybe antibiotics yeah. there. Uh, it depends on the area. And, and today what has happened, people are much more aware. So, uh, you know, 30, 40 years back, people uh, would have taken a medicine and, okay, with, with the medicine came headache or a cramp or something like that. People would have, uh, you know, taken it uh, with a smile or anything. <laughs> I don't know what. Today, people are much more aware. So, because people are much more aware, uh, so the bar of safety has really gone up. Uh, so it's a two-way two street that people have, people know more, or we know many of the side effects which were earlier not even known. Uh, so yes, you're right, people are uh, aware that the, uh, of, the, of the side effects. And so the bar and the FDA has to uh, react to it. So the bar has become really, really tough. So uh, you're working on a new antibiotic. What's the, um, what can you say about it? Like what's the mechanism of action? Why okay. is this uh, promising? Yeah. So let us start from uh, the antibiotic resistance. I try to explain why there is a resistance. Now, an antibiotics mechanism of action is such that it hits an essential uh, part of the bacteria. So let me give you a gory example. Say, say you have a gun and you have a one bullet in the gun. You want to kill a person. Where would you shoot? You would shoot either in the head or in the heart. So in a human body, probably there are many, many essential parts, but head and the heart are super essential. So in, in, in the same way, in the bacteria, there are nodes or enzymes or what have you, which are extremely essential. Now, if they're essential, you have to hit them and that essential part and hit them hard. You don't want to hit a bacteria on its leg or its arm, maybe it will get injured, but it will, you know, get back again. So you have to hit on the head. Now, there are very few essence, such essential parts in the bacteria. So you have to be clever where you are hitting. Now, the bacteria has a very unique, because it, it has been there much before human being, it has a evolutionary advantage that it is continuously changing. Uh, just like the coronavirus, we know that there are maybe 30 to 50 variants of coronavirus now in the world. So each bacteria, as it is evolving, what happens is that you want to hit very specifically on a part of the bacteria. What is the most important part of the bacteria? Say the replication machinery. That means the machinery which is utilized uh, to 
make one bacteria to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16. That is the replication machinery, which is very important. Without that machinery, the bacteria won't survive. Now, the bacteria, barrier hitting the machinery, say one of the enzymes is called gyrase. Now, one of the common antibiotics, uh, which was discovered in the 70s and still being used in the West and also in India, but there are a lot of resistance, is known as ciprofloxacin. It hits gyrase. Now, what has happened, the bacteria mutates in such a way that where it was hitting, that that, make, uh, that part has altered in such a way that the mo molecule cannot go and bind there. So, for example, uh, you want to hit up somebody in the heart, but that guy is wearing a Kevlar uh, bulletproof uh, jacket. So, what do you do? You can't. So, uh, the bacteria alters its, uh, its structure in such a way that you can't. So, that is mutation. What we have done, what is so unique, in our molecule, we have not. We are not hitting only one. We are hitting simultaneously two essential parts of the bacteria. So, for example, with one bullet, I'm hitting the head and the heart. So, even if the guy is wearing a Kevlar jacket, maybe the bullet won't pierce the heart, but it will hit the head. So, you. Uh, so, unless the guy is also wearing a very bulletproof helmet and a Kevlar jacket, that means double mutation is preventing it which is kind of uh, possible, but the probability is less. Uh, so it will become more effective. And we hope that it will have a longer lifespan in the, in the, in the human uh, experience than the previous antibiotics. Most of the antibiotics generally hit one target. Oh, Our, do the bacteria tend to adapt in predictable ways or do they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that is what the, yeah, that absolutely. Way. Absolutely. The bacteria, the, the AMR, what we call antimicrobial resistance, what is the base of AMR? It is the, the continuous mutation. The bacteria, see, uh, you, we have to understand, unlike the human, the bacteria has evolved in feast and famine. What do I mean by that? The feast uh, could be for a very small time, say it's in the human body where it is, you know, having a lot of good food um, in the human body. But there are other times bacteria maybe out in the open where it is dried up. And uh, so it is a very, very robust system. A bacteria is significantly more robust. It can stay without food maybe for months, which is known as biofilm. So human beings cannot. Human beings need a, a four square meal a day or even probably you can survive with one meal a day, but uh, you can't go on uh, indefinite fasting. Bacteria can fast for 30, 40, 50, 60, even 100 days uh, and, and can hunker down uh, when the going gets tough. So uh, that is the, that, so the bacteria are continuously adapting uh, according to their environment and using the Darwinian Maxim, the survival of the fittest. They are continuously changing and trying to outsmart the human being and the drugs. So that's why there will always be uh, antibiotic resistance, but uh, we have to always up the ante and, uh, and hit the bacteria b before it mutates or hit at two places like the way we are doing with our gyrox series of molecules, 
where we hit at two targets simultaneously with equal potency. Well, when a bacteria mutates, I would think that there are trade-offs. You can't have everything. So yeah. if you know how a bacteria mutates and it's predictable, why can't you would cause it to mutate and then also um, you know, take advantage of the trade-off? Yes, uh, that's, a, that's a very, very good point. Now, what people have seen, it's a very interesting thing. For example, exactly as you said, a trade-off. You can't have uh, you know, the, the cake and eat it too. If you use that uh, analogy, as the bacteria is mutating, maybe it has uh, some uh, thing which is trading, maybe the efficiency or something like that. So if uh, antibiotic is withdrawn from the market for or for, say, the doctors withdraw a particular antibiotic for 15 years, it is seen that the bacteria becomes sensitive again. So uh, this has, it has been done in Scandinavia. Uh, they withdrew some of the old antibiotics, and uh, within 10 to 15 years, it became sensitive again. So there's a, there, So as long as you put the pressure it will mutate. If you withdraw the pressure, maybe it will go back to its original or maybe something even more better. But that is always not the case. And bacterial mutation is kind of random, but random selection. Selection is always there. It is continuously mutating millions of bacteria. For example, if you have an infection, you may have uh, 1 billion at least bacteria in your body. Uh, and uh, even if one in 1 billion mutates, that if it has its advantage, it will uh, take over. A bacteria doubles in only 20 minutes. So if it doubles in 20 minutes, you can, cal you can calculate that in overnight, a bacteria from one bacteria can go into maybe uh, 20 generations, which is two, uh, 10 to the power 6, and 30 generation is a, about a billion bacteria. 30 generations would take maximum of 15 hours. So in an overnight, one bacteria which has mutated to become resistant can become 1 billion bacteria in 15 hours, 15 to 17 hours. So that is because the generation time of bacteria is only 20 minutes. Human beings have a generation time of 25 years. So for example, uh, so, so the bacteria mutate very, very fast because as I said, it, it replicates very fast. Well, again, have you seen that the um, the adaptations from bacteria, I mean, they, we still have, if a certain bacteria mutates, we still have ones that haven't mutated, and then we have ones that have mutated, right? Otherwise, yeah. every single bacteria would be resistant to antibiotics. Hmm. So when you look at, you know, the unmutated versus the mutated, are they mutating in predictable ways, or does it appear to be random? And no, they're becoming it, resistant it, in, in non-predictable ways. Now, so for example, okay, that, as I said, devil is in the devil is in the details. Now, what do you call in at the very base, the bacterial mutation is random, but there is a selection. So, for example, uh, let us look how a bacteria can become resistant. So, there are three to four ways a bacteria can become resistant. The bacteria can become resistant by making its uh, outer membrane, that means it's uh, the, the outer surface of the bacteria such that the antibiotic cannot even enter. So that is a permeability mutant. 
so it won't enter. You have closed the doors and the windows in such a way that nobody can enter. So the bacteria has hunkered down. So that is one kind of mutation. The second kind of mutation is a flux. The bacteria has, uh, as I said, that they live in uh, uh, feast and famine. So in, inside our body, it's, there are a lot of toxic materials. So the bacteria has a, a flux system. So the moment the antibiotics or the bad molecule goes inside, the bacteria throws it out. So that is an efflux. This is the second type of mutation. The third type of mutation, as I said, the, the target mutation, say you are hitting the replication machinery, one of the enzymes of the replication machinery at a particular point. That point has mutated in such a way that the activity is still there, but your molecule is not binding or inhibiting that target. This is the third. The fourth is the bacteria may make some molecules, some enzymes, which may degrade your antibiotics. Say, for example, penicillin uh, is uh, how it became resistant. It became resistant because there are some enzymes which are called beta-lactamases, which degrade the penicillin. So it enters. It is not a flux. But the moment it enters, there are enzymes which degrade, which break down the antibiotics in such a way that it becomes ineffective. So the mutation is happening in all these fronts, and suddenly the one is randomly happening, suddenly the one which is effective is not dying, and the others which are unmuted have died. So that mutation takes uh, that uh, bacteria with, with the mutation uh, goes forward and takes over within one week, uh, technically in, one, in the test tube in maybe in, uh, in 15 to 17 hours in, in a human body, so that's why resistant. If you have resistance and you you're taking an antibiotic which is not working, then what happens? Then uh, you people try another antibiotic. Let's see whether it's also resistant or not. That's how. Uh, or if you have good diagnostic system, which we have, but it takes about uh, 24 to 48 hours to check it out. We see which antibiotic to which the bacteria is sensitive and give that. Uh, so. Yeah, so which, that, um, uh, which which of these adaptations is the most difficult to fight? Is it the efflux pump? Is it uh, you know the the degradation enzymes? Which one's the toughest? That depends on the class of antibiotics. For penicillin, degradation is the most important. For ciprofloxacin uh, kind of antibiotics, the target mutation is the most important. For others. Uh, there are the efflux pump, and for others, there are entry. So it depends on the class of molecule which you have made. Which is So the antibiotics have various uh, different class uh, uh, on their chemical property. Uh, so depending on the chemical property, uh, each, chemic, each antibiotic has uh, uh, a more vulnerable pathway for resistance than the other. So there is no... I shared with you four different types of resistant mechanism, and it, it depends on the class of antibiotic. So there is no one rule fits all. But for a given bacteria, let's say Staph aureus, hmm. does it preferentially form pumps over you know, degradation enzymes? Like do the bacteria tend no. to have, uh, uh, they Staph tend to do aureus, one thing over another? Yeah, Staph aureus, for example, is a gram positive, it, its pumps are not very efficient. So for example, one of the antibiotics uh, which is used 
in uh, Staph aureus, say for example, is vancomycin, it becomes resistance that the, the enzyme which inhibits now changes its mechanism in such a way that vancomycin is no longer effective. So uh, again, if you take ciprofloxacin, again, uh, uh, again, Staph aureus, you will see that the ciprofloxacin is mutated in the gyrase uh, sequence where the ciprofloxacin binds. So again, I said that it is not dependent on the bacteria, but it dependent on the class of antibiotics against that bacteria. Yeah, I just didn't know for given bacteria, like like which of the some of the bacteria that are the worst or the toughest, most most uh, antibiotic resistant ones out there that oh, cause yeah, the, the most harm. Okay. The, the the toughest today are probably Pseudomonas aeruginosa and Klebsiella pneumoniae. And also in the way in the West and Acinetobacter bomani. Uh, Staph aureus uh, was MRSA was a very big killer, and probably still is. But there have been a recent some uh, improvement uh, over uh, in that area. So gram positives are probably like slightly less dangerous than the gram negatives. As I said, um, Pseudomonas klebsiella and acinetobacter, including staph, would be the four biggest bacterial killers uh, today. So your uh, new antibiotic, which bacteria are you targeting? Or is it... Oh, uh, a very, very interesting question. Yeah. What we call is a um, broad spectrum. The, there is an acronym which is called ESCAPE. E-S-K-A-P-E. This is... Uh, E for E. coli, K for Klebsiella, A for Acinetobacter, ESKAP for Pseudomonas, E for Enterobacter C. And there is a, one more, uh, ESS is for Staph. So these escape pathogens are the major uh, bacteria which, which harm uh, the humankind. And our antibiotic, uh, is gyrox, which is a broad spectrum, because it is hitting the replication machinery, which is common to all the bacteria that are there. It is a common um, um, enzyme, common pathway, because all, all bacteria has to replicate. And for replication, there is a specific enzyme, gyrase, which uh, does the uncoiling of the double helix, and topoisomerase, which also does that in a slightly different way. Uh, so it hits the, both the replication enzyme uh, simultaneously. So our is a broad spectrum. Actually, it is a super broad spectrum antibiotic. So the advantage is that uh, in an acute infection, uh, hopefully when we pass our clinical trial and it's, it becomes a, really a drug, it can be given without even, uh, if just one has to just figure out there is a bacterial infection. So without knowing, without the diagnostic, which bacteria it is, you can give it because it is a broad spectrum antibiotic. And in an acute infections, often you don't have time to understand which bacteria, because it takes time uh, to do a diagnostic. And uh, you, you have to, uh, the doctors have to make a very quick decision. Oh, so broad spectrum still has a place because of the lack of time in acute infections. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, not only that, uh, many infections are 
multi species now that means it's not only one see when your uh, immune system is uh, when does bacterial infection happen if there is an external cut or wound when that our immune system would be taken care of that but if you are immune compromised then what happens there are many bacteria which are waiting in the wings uh, to attack you and many infections are not a single bacteria but it may be a multibacterial infection so uh, the philosophy is uh, yes if you can make a molecule which is very specific to a single bacteria and if you know that that is the infection then it's fine but in many cases where you don't know you you uh, because of the diagnostic you need to give a broad spectrum what about the delivery of the antibiotic it's just through pill I mean why not try to use a, a phage vector to deliver no, it uh, no uh, th- this is a small molecule that means a small chemical compound of molecular weight less than 500 so there are two general m- modes of uh, and delivery one is as you said a pill which is the easiest oral pill but uh, the first uh, thing what we are doing is an iv in- injection because this is targeted for hospital based infection which is a serious acute infection uh, probably we will first the, the trial will go for uh, hospital acquired pneumonia where uh, so it will be given iv um, in the hospital so it will be a injection uh, but we also have an oral step down of the same molecule uh, which uh, is coming behind our iv platform the first platform molecule that we are going ahead uh, which has been funded by carbex uh, i guess uh, i should i should thank them uh, we should thank them the carbex is probably the biggest funder today in antibacterial uh, space it's uh, it funds uh, it's a fund uh, by the us government the i think the gates foundation the welcome trust all put together has put a, a, a significant amount of money and they are ident- they have identified a top uh, small smes around the world and they are funding them and so far we have been funded uh, by carbex and the first molecule that will go into clinical trial is an iv formulation intravenous formulation so are you in uh, have you started clinical trials are you in phase 1 yet or how long no, will this take will, uh, yeah so our our uh, preclinical ex- uh, all the experimental data is all over and uh, probably in the uh, mid may uh may is this so maybe and we within, within a month or month and a half we we are going to have a meeting with the fda and if the meeting goes well uh then we would start our phase 1 clinical trial in all probability in australia because that is uh, somehow uh the best place uh, to go for phase 1 trial they have got a very good infrastructure uh with the high quality um, of science and so everybody has said the australia and and they are very fast the speed is their sense uh, so if the fda meeting goes on well uh so by uh, q4 of 2020 we would start the clinical trial phase 1 clinical trial in australia 
we are waiting for we are now uh, in the in the process of compiling the entire document uh, of the preclinical safety manufacturing all that we have done over the last four years it's a huge documentation and that document will go to the fda and they will look at very hard on this and look for the safety and the, and, and the efficacy, primarily the safety, and then we will go into phase one. Once FDA is okay with it, uh, looking at the data from our side and the, from the Carbex's uh, expert, it looks okay, but as I said, uh, unless the FDA stamps that it is okay to move forward, we will not. So that is the stage, that, that is the last gate that we are waiting, uh, which probably will happen in the next 40, 45 days. Do you think if this is successful, it will be used in clinics, in hospitals? Uh, after phase one, which may take about uh, six months, then we go to the phase two, where we uh, do a trial. Uh, probably we will do a multi-centric trial, that means in two, three countries, including USA, uh, where it will be uh, tested on hospital uh, patients suffering hospital-acquired pneumonia. And in that, under a very careful supervision, we will be testing this. And uh, probably, um, if all goes well, then uh, it will be starting to be given uh, to patients uh, after that, uh, but there will be a phase three, but uh, depending on compassionate ground, once you have cleared a phase two, that means you have shown, the phase one shows that your molecule is safe and phase two shows it is efficacious. Now in the antibacterial field, efficacy is already, we have shown in animals, in multiple animal species. So the, in the phase one is the major criteria where we, we have to see that it is safe. When you give the right dosage, the right dosage is there in the blood. We measure the amount, you, whether you give it oral or IV, and various time intervals, you measure the concentration of the molecule in the blood and see whether it is there. And once you know that it is there, then you know that if it is the right amount of concentration, which is enough to kill the bacteria, then the efficacy will be there. There is no doubt about that. So the phase one is the most important, but phase two we have to do. Uh, and then uh, probably by the end of next year, hopefully uh, the phase two will be over. And then you, you we can think of clinic. Very good. Well, Dr. Dato, what's the best way for people to keep tabs on your work and to find out more? What's the best way? Uh, the your best website way... Or... Website is, is updated. Uh, is updated. Um, uh, you can uh, just drop in a line to me. I, I would be more than happy to update uh, maybe th three months from now. Uh, I think the next getting is uh, once the FDA says, okay, then the clinical trial. But I, uh, I hope that the COVID-19, uh, it will derail a time by maybe a couple of months, but not more than that. If, yeah. uh, so that's what we are hoping. Okay. Well, very good. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it very much. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.